This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Hello, and welcome to the Theology Gaming Podcast. My name is Zachary Oliver, the owner and proprietor of the Theology Gaming Blog. With me today are two special guests. We have the director and chief of Nerd Chapel, Eric Anderson. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Good. (laughs) And we also have Richard Terrell, who is the author of the Critical Gaming Blog and is also the developer of Bari Bari Ball, correct? That is correct, yeah. Welcome to the show. It's good to be here. And our topic today is competitive gaming. Perhaps you've heard of it, perhaps you haven't. But people play games in worldwide competitions and for lots of money. Or maybe not for any kind of money, but just for the pure love of competing with other people. Now, I know that some people don't like the idea of gaming being a competitive thing or gaming not being competitive at all. So (laughs) I'd like to see some different viewpoints here. So One thing I want to start with is that you know, to me, there doesn't seem to be, on many levels, a big difference between playing a single-player game and playing a multiplayer game. And I think um, it's commonly thought that sort of the egos fly wild and people get all heated and, and <laughs> angry with each other, and that's primarily yeah. something that, that happens with multiplayer games. But that also happens with single-player games, and I don't, I don't know, people don't really need an excuse to get angry <laughs> at their current situation. <laughs> Yeah. You get angry at other people. Yeah, that too. <laughs> so, with the challenges that you face in a single-player game, there's, depending on the game, many opportunities to, you know, seek harder challenges, achieve greater goals, refine your skills, and and sort of grow as a player. And this is also very much a reality for competitive games as well. So, in my mind, growing up, I played a lot of multiplayer games and single-player games, and just kind of applying that same sort of I want to get better idea as I played was just something that was common. Well, in terms of multiplayer games, what do you think about the fact that people kind of get nervous when they're fighting another person or playing against another person? It's kind of a strange environment if you think about it. I mean, it's the same principles that apply to any other competitive pursuit where you have other people involved, but I find that gaming is a little more intense yeah, I think one of the coolest parts about multiplayer gaming is that it's multiplayer. And with all the, the cool sort of social pros and cons that come with getting out of your house and talking to people and meeting people in real life, uh, it, it's very much there and a, a real part of competition when you're playing video games. So, you know, been competing with Smash Brothers for many years and traveling around Texas and to other states and meeting new people and like going on adventures but uh it's amazing how all of our different personalities and views are sort of exhibited inside of our play styles and how many of our our real world uh drawbacks are also part of like what what characters we pick what strategies we we choose and what happens in the heat of the moment yeah and each game has its own strange leveling curve too which adds a lot to it like for, for example, I don't really like Street Fighter 4 at all, even though I've really tried to enjoy it, but I really enjoy King of Fighters 13, even though it's a lot more difficult to play. <laughs> and there's a strange learning curve to both, and I just don't get Street Fighter that much, but I get KOF. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, one of the cool, I don't know, there's so many different ways to sort of um, get into video games, but I think one of the, the biggest factors that determines, you know, which games we end up liking and which games we sink a lot of time into is if we if it sort of clicks with us. And definitely for players just looking for something to put their time into, it's, it's amazing how some games just sort of, you, it, all the pieces line up and you start playing better and better and enjoying it. And some games you just never, you never get, no matter how much time you put into it. Yeah, it's very strange. Eric, uh, what about board games in this realm? There is competitive board gaming, correct? Oh, yes, there is. I remember last, I think it was last year, I watched a portion of the Worldwide Final Sellers of Catan Championship online. Wow. They actually broadcast online and you could watch it. So I watched part of it and then took off with my parents to go to a store or someplace or something. Um, yeah, and, yeah, I've been in a couple of small little tournaments, nothing big or major. It's amazing how just being around the table with tiny little pieces, knowing that there's a possible prize in the works can make things very intense. <laughs> um, I have a buddy who was competing in the HeroScape Championship at Gen Con, and there isn't really an organized, you know, championship system with HeroScape, except that Gen Con is kind of the biggest convention to have HeroScape tournaments. So it's basically, that's kind of considered the, you know, the primary, if you will. And he got into the finals, and so he and his one guy were vying for what is basically the HeroScape title. Mm-hmm. And just walking over there, they were videotaping it, and there was like 15 people around watching, or 10 or 15 people around watching, and it was just very quiet, you know, taking their time, figuring out their moves. Um, and then later on, when my buddy won it, uh, he's just like, you know what? This is really cool. It's nothing compared to my relationship with Jesus, but this is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have another guy that I met when I was in Slovakia who, who at one time took the ninth place in all of Europe in Carcassonne, which I recently found out was actually, the, the design of Carcassonne actually has a degree in theology. Yeah, um, yeah I didn't know that, but was looking looked up his bio on the box or something and I'm like, oh, hey, that's interesting. Um, but it kind of, you know, there isn't this cooperative, or not cooperative, but competition realm that kind of spans between both North America and Europe and that some people go in, you know, they go to Con and get as high as they can there and then go over to Essen in Germany for that big convention and go into World Finals there for some game. I do remember, in, in terms of video games, Sci-Fi for a short time, I think it was, no, it was DirecTV on one of their channels, were broadcasting what was supposed to be like the official big video game competitive series or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here watching racing, and I'm thinking, I don't watch real racing. <laughs> and I don't, but, but here I am watching video game racing on television. <laughs> and finding myself just confused by the by this <laughs> and um you know what watching counter-strike on there which i had watched my buddies play counter-strike in college so <laughs> that was just like okay but 
I think there's something really interesting that you kind of brought up there. I think on some level, everyone sort of uh, dips into these other sort of uh, competitive experiences for a little bit, right? Like everyone watches a tournament in poker when it shows up on TVS or flipping channels. People check out the Olympics and it has all kinds of events. And when something sort of mm-hmm. pops up and you're just like, oh, I don't know what that's like on the highest level, it's just really interesting to take a peek into that world. And I think yeah. the reason why is because it comes with so much of a of a cultural thing, of so much of a of like an established and learned set of like ways that players handle themselves, ways that they conduct their competitions, values that they um, point out in their commentary. Like, there's so much to absorb if you're just going to take a sneak peek. That's definitely a cool way to jump in and jump out. Yeah, I was watching the Olympics, and I thought to myself. How do you get into bobsled? <laughs> is there like a bobsled academy that there, somebody goes to, or do they um, build a, a bobsledding thing in their backyard? I, it, well, it, I know that uh, it, in my home county, Muskegon County, there's a big bobsled training facility that a lot of the Olympians use. Oh, okay. Uh, Muskegon is pretty big on Winter Olympics. We've got bobsledders and ice skaters who all train in our state. So, okay. It just seems like a strange thing to me because I've never seen, like, an advertisement for a bobsled team in a college or anything like that. Right, You know, yeah. looking for a 350-pound hulking heavy man to run bobsled, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, just the idea of testing our skills against someone else, for some reason we are drawn to that as just as humans. We like the idea of testing our skills out. And... The idea of being able to say, you know, I went this far compared to all the other people of this hobby throughout the world, just kind of an overwhelming thought in a way, unless it's a tiny little hobby that nobody cares about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I recently did um, my Indicate East talk on something that's really closely related to what we're talking about, and the title was how Kirby and Smash Brothers taught me to design better games. And I ran through this history of, you know, what it was like to be a player of games and then to become a competitive Smash Brothers player and from there to be a blogger and a game tester and a game researcher and then finally ending up being a developer on a Smash Brothers-like game, Barabari Ball. But for that that second um, step in the journey, being a competitor, I talked about, you know, like, you you don't really know a game as well until you sort of apply the the discipline and the dedication to learn it, like, really well. And I I said that uh, you can do that with any hobby, any subject, uh, anything really, but competitive games show you how much you don't know, like, actively. And it's it's quite apparent when you lose really badly that you didn't sort of apply yourself properly, you didn't put in the time, you didn't put in the work, or that it's just something you didn't quite realize beforehand. So, like I, like I was saying at the, the start of the podcast, yeah, you can compare single-player games to um, multiplayer games and competitive games a lot, but unless there's something that's sort of living and breathing and working hard to make sure that you lose, you really don't get uh, the whole concept as sharp of a focus. That's why I really like competitive games. And a lot of single-player games don't really force you to learn every single system. Yeah. 
there right yeah i mean to a certain point right at, yeah. there's there's kind of this plateau where it's like oh the game is quote unquote over and then there mm-hmm. might be some challenges beyond that but it's never quite to the degree that you can keep improving on yeah in a, in a fighting game most fighting games have their their best players or the top characters that are really powerful you see a lot but then there's always these players that specialize in the characters nobody plays, like me and Kirby. And it's amazing how bad you can make someone look when, you know, they just didn't think it was important to learn the ins and outs of a Kirby matchup or, or like a Shin matchup in Street Fighter 4 or any of that. Matchups are strange, strange things, especially if you're in like a game where the, there's a clear worst character. <laughs> Or a worse strategy to do, and it ends up winning because they don't expect it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing I'm thinking about is that if you watch video games as a spectator sport, let's say just any kind of competitive game, it can be you know RTS or it can be Counter Strike or whatever. But if you're watching it, there is a possibility that you too could also get that good if you put the work in, which I'm not sure is true of every single sport, but it's certainly true of video games. I mean, you don't necessarily need a genetic predisposition to being a great Street Fighter player versus being a great basketball player, for example. Yeah, it seems like physical limitations are pretty obvious and big and, and difficult sort of for, yeah. for most people to to get over when they're when they're pursuing sports. But in video games since you don't really need that much physical dexterity, it's really a lot about how you apply your your time and your mind. And I think even board games show this more so because very oh, yeah. slow-paced. Yeah. You, you, I mean, with, with board games, and it, it very much is just about having a good mind and knowing the game and knowing your characters well. Uh, or in a game like Carcassonne, just knowing what each piece does. And we used to do a league at my college, just kind of an unofficial league, with Star Wars Epic Duos. And we all got to know every character's deck really well. And that's how, you know, that's why I was able to do so well one of our first times as Obi-Wan Kenobi because I knew his deck and I knew what he could do. Um, and he had this, this ridiculous overpowered card where he could move every character on the board three spaces after he played that attack. Give us some context here. <laughs> okay. Well, there's, I think it was a, a four-on-four game. So you have Star Wars Epic Duos is a great team game, and so we had four light, three or four light side characters and three or four dark side characters, all being played by actual people. And basically, the game is you roll for movement, and then you have a a set of deck. Each character has their own deck of cards that they go through. That is their form of abilities and such. Um. And so we are, we are in this game, and because I knew all the characters well, I was able to use this one attack card that first attacks and then allows you to move every character three spaces to move everything in a way that enabled my team to have a pretty pretty big control of the board. Uh, it's called Force Control, and I, I think I just set up to... And ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Force Control! And... Just knowing your character's abilities changes the whole game compared yeah, to not yeah. them. I think stories like that you hear all the time with with pro players or with experienced players. 
they they try to stress all the time how much you have to to know in order to play the game well and it kind of it's kind of obvious that games are really complex and when mm-hmm. any one rule in the game can be the difference between winning and losing that means knowing every single role is like increasingly for your advantage right uh, if, especially if your opponent doesn't know it and yeah like casual players or people who don't understand what it means to really compete oftentimes think that it's their initial idea of what the game is or what the game can be that <coughs> people develop and then somebody has a better idea and that person ends up winning overall but they don't quite see that it's more of a uh, hard work kind of discipline type of situation where the work the time you put into it to learn this directly impacts your ability to win and there are some innate things that you bring to the table and some personality that you bring to your learning style and what you gravitate towards but like 80 percent 90 percent it's hard work yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, most of the time it's about developing the mental framework necessary to make sense of whatever's happening right mm-hmm. on screen or in whatever game you're playing. Because mm-hmm. currently I've been playing a lot of Fortune Street, and I realize that's not really a competitive game in the traditional sense because, I mean, it's a video game board game, which is weird. <laughs> but mostly it's Monopoly with stock trading. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. I've been playing it with a group of three other people consistently, and we're finding that there's different ways to manipulate the game and make sure that your opponents don't win. (laughs) So we've pulled out some really strange strategies out of the hat just because we knew what our opponents were expecting. Just to give an example, uh, a lot of the game involves owning districts, sort of like Monopoly. But the additional thing to it is that you can invest into that district by buying stocks and stocks are a separate component so but at the same time you can invest in your territories and raise up the stock price so you could have let's say 100 stock in something and then you pump in like a thousand dollars and then the stock price will increase by a certain amount you get the money back but at the same time people can invest in your properties by buying stock in them. so what happens is everybody's Profits go up at the same time because everybody wants to ride on the gravy train to victory (laughs) by buying as much stock in the districts that they know are going to go up. But, of course, if you know this because people are going to jump on your stock, you don't necessarily have to invest right away because that will increase everyone's ability to win the game because Fortune Street is basically if you reach a certain dollar amount and go back to the start of the board, you win. So there's strategy in when you want to invest and when you want to try to bankrupt other people. So there's a give and take to it. But the more you play, the more these strange strategies unlock to you that you wouldn't necessarily see and aren't even necessarily in the game because you know that you can manipulate things in a certain way to your advantage. Mm. Yeah, you definitely develop a specific kind of eye, a specific kind of way of thinking that's more and more in line with any weird peculiar rules or individual characteristics of that game or that match and that's kind of what I really like about taking any kind of game seriously or or thinking in any kind of mode or system you develop a new way of thinking that's 
many times very unlike your old way of thinking. That's why you weren't very good before, and after you put in the work, you're good. Like, that's the whole point. So, yeah, whether it's music or games or playing competitively, all that, that frame of mind that you can slip into, I find it's very entertaining and fun in itself, but also very just valuable for day-to-day, day-to-day living. A question for both of you, or whoever wants to go first. Uh, do you play by thinking of a particular strategy in advance, or do you mostly play by feel once you've got an idea of how the board's going? Because I find that in my experience, it depends on what game I'm playing. Because some games I just I don't actually have an overarching strategy when I go in, but I find myself just playing because I, I know what will happen if I do this and what if I do this, et cetera, et cetera. Or do you have, like, are you always thinking about what's actually happening? I would have to say it, it varies from game to game. And part of that is some games, when you talk about board games, some games have enough luck involved or you have to go a little bit by a little bit. And some you have to do some pre-planning. Like with Access and Allies, you have to pre-plan, okay, in order for me to do this, I need to get U.S. bombers over and have them based over in England instead of based here. Mm-hmm. And in order to... Uh, take down Japan, I need to put my fleet over here and to keep hitting them hard and hard and hard. Um, but then there's games where you have to do both. Uh, Ticket to Ride is a great example of that. When I play Ticket to Ride, I, starting out, I have three destination tickets, and I look at those three destination tickets, and I can keep, I can put one away, I have to keep at least two. And I look at them, and I say, okay, can I hit multiples of the cities in one round but then after I've decided that and what to keep for those then it becomes a matter of what cards am I able to get for resources am I able to get the resources I need to do that or do I have to change my ride a little bit as I go because I'm not getting the resources Okay, so that's a game where you are thinking about it obviously step by step <laughs> yes yep. but are there any games where you just kind of play by feel because you know everything about it so intimately yeah, to me, that's. I think uh, that kind of question comes up a lot for people. People really want to know what it's like to put in all this work and play at a high level, and they want to know: are, is it like a? Is it like a math problem in your head? Are you reading a textbook? Is it is it kind of boring like some people think school is, or is it more like feel where you can sort of improvise and just be in the moment? And you know, to me. Both of those are very closely connected that I don't ever worry about being in one or the other. Um, sometimes it's easier to think things out in, in words and sentences in your head because that's just kind of the nature of the problem that you're dealing with. But then other times you're dealing with complex situations that you can go by feel because in, in a lot of ways your brain can process things better when when you leave it up to your unconscious and you kind of just let an answer bubble up into your mind, or if it's something mm-hmm. like elements moving on the screen, you don't think about that in words, but you you feel it out in, in timing and rhythm. And, and you know, you slip backwards and forwards in either of those methods, I think, as, as you're comfortable. So, you know, it's never something that anybody has to worry about. For me, that's what I think. <laughs> It's also like um, playing musical instruments. I think you put in all that hard work combing over the music that you're learning, note for note and measure per measure, so that when you perform it, 
you don't have to think about the notes. You just think about the shape that you want to take the music, the direction you want to take the music in, and like being aware of how you're feeling and how that may affect the notes that you want to play. I've heard that described with uh, dance as well. You don't think in step one, step two, step three. You learn all those steps so that you stop thinking about them, and then you can just feel it out from the, for the rest of it. As a swing dancer, I can say that is true. Yes. <laughs> cool. you, you, you put all this work, and you learn all these different things, and then you just do what you do when you're out there in the music mm-hmm. side. I think it might be similar to when you're in a philosophical debate. Here's my experience coming in, right? I'm a philosophy theology double major, so when you come into a philosophy thing, you don't actually know what exactly somebody's going to come up with. Mm -hmm. So even though you have this vast array of knowledge to bring to bear on this particular thing, you don't exactly know which thing. So even though if you're quick-witted enough, if, if, like, the teacher asks you a question or if somebody else has a good rejoinder, you have to be on the spot, know exactly how to respond in a rational and logical way that it will cover you and put you put the opponent on the defensive. <laughs> and that's not, I mean, part of it is thinking about how you want to do it in advance. I mean, you're basically thinking while they're talking to you, yeah. which is really strange because you're not really... You're absorbing the information, but you're not actually thinking about it. But yeah. you have all the tools necessary when it's your turn to say something that you can actually respond in a cogent way. So I can see how it could be a mix of both. There's one cool sort of related topic to games and competition that is sort of the the uh, what, the elephant in the room. It's when sort of competition and taking things seriously may actually have a negative effect on right. you know, your experience, the experience of those around you uh, in any combination. And the kind of the strange cases that, that exist where that's the case. Well, when you get angry, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> After you mm-hmm. lose. I mean, well, it's partly because of the investment of time. Mm-hmm. You don't want it to be wasted. And to lose means that, well, there's no external validation for the time that you spent. Yeah. I think there's a lot of different ways to win and lose. And I always try to tell people it's not always what the game tells you. And sometimes you go into a scenario and you, you play your brains out, right? And you do all the stuff that you trained and everything's clicking, but you still lose. But sometimes... Losing in those matches, you still feel great because you're like, wow, so the work I put in wasn't for, for nothing. It actually turned into something. I just wasn't able to pull out the win against you know whoever I fought, which you could have been the guy who goes on and takes the tournament. You never know. But, yeah, sometimes you lose and you feel great, and sometimes you win and you're like, that wasn't worth you know, my time. That wasn't worth what I sacrificed to – or I, I like, over-practiced or I, I sacrificed too much to get to this point. There's always these weird cases like that. Sometimes when I play a game, and having studied game game design gameplay so much, I can just like sit there and know, oh man, to get better at this, I would have to at least put in a couple of months of solid work. And then I see like a calendar in my head and like the steps and the process that I would have to do to to be at the level that I'm sort of thinking I might want to be at. And that's sort of um, that's when I have to make a tough decision. Like, do I want to? Like, how much do I want it? <laughs> how much do I want to win? How much do I want to keep playing this? And where, where is it going down the line? And 
I think anytime you're investing serious time like that, you start to brush up against those serious life questions, right? <laughs> yeah. How much time yeah. am I willing to spend on this before it becomes an obsession rather than a hobby? Or that right. tipping point where you're like, can I make money off of this? And is that what I really want? <laughs> is that what I'm really after? Yeah. And then that's kind of crazy because the people you're fighting at these tournaments, they can have a lot more free time than you. They can be like the person I was kind of hinting at, the person who turns into a job and practices like five, eight hours a day, studies it online and does all that. And you have to fight these people. And sometimes that's a little depressing because you're like, especially if it gets to a point where you can't even see how well your own time investment stacked up because they're just that much of a higher level than you. And um, I think there's a couple of things that help me get through scenarios like that when I'm imagining myself playing competitive games and when I'm competing is that the people who put in the dedication they're they're sacrificing things as well and it's not like you it's not like you thinking that your effort is enough is what's holding them back that's only setting yourself up in a in a poor frame of mind to not appreciate the work that they did and, and the effort that they put in. So, I mean, these people are always going to exist. They were there in school, they were there in music, they were there in sports, like the people who just put more time into it. So you always have to look at yourself and try to calibrate accordingly. Something that helps me sleep at night when I lose tournament after tournament. <laughs> here's, here's a question. How do you guys feel about people actually being able to win like thousands of dollars just by playing video games? I think that's like an economic and cultural kind of issue, right? Because if the more people who play it, even if they're only forking over a dollar to enter the tournament, if you get enough of those people at a tournament, the prize money is going to be a lot of money. And it kind of it's kind of like an audience community kind of thing versus a how, how, much, how many regular events can you attend to turn it into something you can make money in. I don't know. I, I tend not to worry too much about how much money is flying around in esports. <laughs> yeah, or if esports is a thing that people are into. Yeah. I've seen Magic the Gathering on ESPN, but I think that's about as much as I've seen of board games or anything similar to that. Yeah, I mean, normally if, if you're in a board game tournament, the prize is either your name on a plaque or it's um, a bunch of expansions for the game or something. Um, yeah, I, I, I used to host a um, bi-weekly tournament for Smash Brothers for a full year about and, um, you know, just carefully monitoring what kind of tone I'm setting with the tournament and, and how to help facilitate and foster a strong community rather than just people who come and expect to take money from right. you know, weak, weaker players that show up just because they want to have fun and one of the things I did was have a team tournament where it's just a dollar to enter per player instead of your more typical $5 or $10 per player. And when it's just $1 and it's like the, the last event of the day, people aren't afraid to just try new team combinations, play with a player they've never met before, have fun, laugh it off, and, and even still compete for the top because that's still very much a possibility. And yeah. Balancing out those those elements is always important, I think. Well, I've I've got a friend who hosts his own little Dominion tournaments a couple times a year, and he does that with HeroScape as well. And it, it's kind of fun just to have this group where we come together, and the way he works it 
is that there's a is whenever we do Dominion tournaments, there's always some sort of a prize in a loser's track as well, so that somebody who didn't do super amazing can still get a prize. And I remember this one, the last Dominion tournament, uh, the prize in the loser's row or whatever you want to call it was a not a custom card but a promo card and i managed to get into the game to fight for the promo card and it was funny how we decided to work it out because there's an expansive for dominion which is a deck building game called guilds and you know the guilds there's all these different uh kinds of careers so you've got the baker you've got the smith you know you've got all these different things but there just happens to be in that that expansion there's the baker the candlestick maker and the other one from the old rhyme, the butcher. <laughs> and in order to win the promo card, we had to be we had to be the first person to play those three cards in the order of the of the classic rhyme. That's awesome. <laughs> so it was interesting trying to make that work out. You didn't have to yeah. have them straight and roll because you couldn't. You had to play other cards to get you more actions. Yeah, I love stuff like that. I think um sort of alternate goals for people like that can really help sort of keep the keep the tournament alive or keep the, keep the competitive spirit alive without having the losing player just sort of fold their cards and be sad. <laughs> well, and, and this is, you know, I, some of the people in that group are also in a group that does a yearly risk tournament. And every year they send home a loser's trophy. Whoever takes last place in the game with all the people who have been last in all of their other games takes a trophy home for being the the primary loser. <laughs> <laughs> a loser's trophy? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's just this goofy little thing, like, you know, a piece of wood with a couple of uh, old green army soldiers on it. <laughs> and like it's the, the risk loser's trophy. Yeah, one guy, the, the one time I was in that group one guy was so happy because he had taken that home three years in a row and finally he got to pass that off to another guy <laughs> like a rite of passage <laughs> yeah since this is theology gaming after all i want to ask what do you think of the idea of competition in terms of christianity now i know some people are like no competition whatsoever because, you know, we're all equal in Christ and that sort of thing. And then some people are like, well, you should do your best so that you do your best for God and that sort of thing. So there are obviously a variety of different perspectives on this, but I'd like to hear you both weigh in on it. Since I was a little kid, you know, I've always been involved in different kinds of competition, like Taekwondo and soccer and school and, and uh, you know, a little bit of theater here and there, music, video games, all of that. And it's always been... I think the focus that my, my father put all these activities was finding a way to uh, do your best, finding out how hard discipline is, getting getting used to practicing and applying yourself and setting goals and meeting those goals and sort of living up to that kind of potential. So I know a lot of people think that the draw for most players for competition just you know being with people feeling like you're better than somebody but uh that's just never been my primary focus it's the reason why you know i can make decisions like 
Peyton Walker in Smash Brothers trying to win, even though he's really, really low tier in Smash Brothers Melee. It's, it's not really about trying to show someone else that I'm better than them, regardless of the amount of time and effort. It's just sort of a, a way of practicing discipline and going through this sort of self-reflective process that shows me a lot of things about myself. I mean, we all get you know, upset when we lose and salty, and some, some of these things can flare when you're in the company of other people and you're battling. So I think it's a very unique kind of practice that playing video games brings to sort of controlling your temper and making sure that you have the bigger picture and focus and priority set. So to the broader, to answer the broader question, it's never, it's, competitive gaming has always been more like school and my experience is there to me than, than a lot of other things. So I don't even put it in a separate category. I don't even think of it as strange when I sit down and I've never played a game before, but as soon as I start seeing it, I'm like, okay, you know, what, what did I learn? And, you know, what, what would it take to get better, regardless if I do it or not? And, you know, just being more aware of risk-reward and certain kind of decisions I can make and trying to keep it all in the balance, right? I mentioned that before, about how this stuff takes up so much time, but so does, so does everything else. I mean, piano practice, hours a day, and... And when you get closer to recital, maybe more, you know, being in orchestra, all these other kinds of extracurriculars that people seem, and culture and society in general, values pretty highly, thinks it's very respectable. I never found there to be too much of a difference between that, those kinds of things and video game playing. If you, I mean, after you put in hundreds of hours to learn one song, and then hundreds of hours to get good at one game, and you sort of confront all your weaknesses when you don't want to practice, when you don't want to put in the time, when you want to complain rather than analyze what you did wrong, then it all just feels the same to you after a while. Like, everything takes work. Don't underestimate anything. Respect everyone. All that kind of stuff just pops up. For me, my, I don't, for me, I don't so much worry about individuals competing with each other. I think that most people that I in the Christian realms, they, they treat competition as a fun opportunity rather than as I've got to be better than everyone else. And certainly you have to have the right mindset about it. You have to understand, okay, I'm doing this for a community. I'm doing this to train myself. Now I'm doing this so I can be better. Um, and I think that humility, if that humility is not ingrained in you, then the competition maybe isn't such a wise thing. Um, but if you, your parents have ingrained that sense of let's do this with the right attitude, then it can be an amazing thing. What I worry more and think about, and this is something I talked a little bit about in my latest Nerd Chapel video, is competition between churches. Churches are trying to outdo each other, and in an age where some people choose what church they go to based on the music or based on the production rather than on how well they're actually growing. I think that we need to have an understanding of the church as a whole rather than what our little expression of it is doing. And we need to take that into our different competitions and our different hobbies with this understanding that there's a much larger picture than this, just this tiny little tournament. Yeah, well put. Yeah, I find the Christian churches can get very competitive even though they're like exactly the same. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, they're basically independent Protestant churches around where I live, and 
sometimes they get a little heated with each other regarding just, I mean, they're little minute things. Not even like doctrine or, you know, some guy's teaching some kind of heretical thing. It's just like, your music isn't cool enough. <laughs> yeah. And it's a yeah. very strange thing to talk to two people from two different churches, which are really similar, arguing about little, little things. <laughs> yes. And I'm not sure if that's a competition you want to be in. Exactly. You know, it, it's there's good competition, healthy competition, which I think is what most sports and most video game and board game tournaments are trying to do. Is they're trying to build a healthy, interactive focus for competition. Then there's you know the competition of I want to be better than everyone else, or I want to have more followers than everyone else, or what have you. And that's the thing I think we need to to be wary of. Yeah, an obsession rather than a fun yes. thing to do. Yes, exactly. And, and you know, I, I've been blessed to be in an area where a lot of churches do work together. We, you know, we started doing a yearly Christmas presentation that's kind of like a big epic scale version of a living nativity um, that is supported by over 18 different churches from all different denominations. And I've been able to be part of community service days where we had multiple churches from multiple denominations cooperating together and i'm not so sure that all cities or all areas around america have really built that kind of cooperation amongst the churches no not really (laughs) so of course it's partly because protestant churches are have always been kind of like separate (laughs) larger church bodies but the catholic church is probably a lot better than that well i think the catholic church looks does a little bit better of understanding their place in the Christian realm. When you consider Christianity throughout time and space of believers 2,000 years ago and believers in the future and believers all over the world, I think the Catholic Church has a better viewpoint of that because they focus so much on unity. Yeah. Whereas on the Protestant Church, we don't focus on unity, we focus on truth. And... Sometimes Catholic churches put unity above truth, and sometimes Protestant churches put truth above unity. Yeah, and, and there could be a better balance between the two. Exactly, yeah. Find the middle of the pendulum. Yeah. I think the thing you could take away from competitive gaming or competitive anything more than anything else is that you can make yourself better at something simply by having the discipline to deal with the things that you're not good at or the things that you can improve on and then have some kind of tangible way to improve upon them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that can apply to churches or that can apply to any kind of weird hobby you like, you know, from competitive gaming to a worm eating or whatever the heck you're into. Wow. <laughs> you mean there's competitive worm eating? I wouldn't be surprised. There's competitive hot dog eating. So. With two. Which is a weird thing in and of itself. <laughs> and tiny people tiny people eat a lot of food for some reason yes somehow the last thought is I kind of imagined what it would be like to teach game design and what kind of curriculum I would build in order to have students have a really well rounded understanding of games and game design and I think one of the things that I would make mandatory in that curriculum is you know playing a game competitively and I've been thinking of all these creative ways in order to get people to engage in that activity, even if they're like shy or a little bit nervous and maybe pick turn-based games or maybe if it's turn-based you can sort of 
be one player, but you're actually a group of students, and you can collaborate on every turn and do all this stuff. But just kind of getting people more used to this idea of hard work and discipline and how those things are a natural part of applying yourself and understanding who you are as a person or a player. So yeah, that's my final thought. Uh, what kind of game would you recommend for that, actually? Just something practical for the listeners. Because hmm. I know some games are just too complex in a genre, and it doesn't make sense. Whereas mm-hmm. others are entry-level, but not necessarily... They won't teach you the right skills. So mm-hmm. there's always a strange issue going on there. Yeah, so you could you could pick something like chess, but that would be really intimidating. So I would I would go with something that is um, maybe even that multiple people could, could contribute into, maybe something like Pokemon. Turn-based, has a, a competitive scene, and you can, you can battle online if, if you want to, but then, you know, when you collaborate, people can contribute and maybe even raise up one Pokemon, and they can understand how much work it takes to do that, and things like Team Synergy, if they, if they have the right kind of Pokemon that work well with each other. Yeah, that'd be kind of neat. Uh, Eric, any last thoughts? I think, you know, let's just get out there and enjoy ourselves and keep Christ at the head and have fun with it. Don't get so serious about the work aspect of it that you forget to have fun. Yeah, But don't forget the work aspect either. But work is fun. <laughs> I like it can it. be. Yeah, depends on the kind of work. Yes. Yeah. That was good stuff. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This has been the Theology Gaming Podcast. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more of it, go on iTunes, give us a five-star rating, subscribe, all that good stuff. You can find Richard at his website at critical-gaming.com. Find the Nerd Chapel Facebook page, the Nerd Chapel Blogspot page, or the Nerd Chapel YouTube page. So if you Google Nerd Chapel, you should find all three of those pretty quickly. And if you want to send questions to us, Post it on the Theology Gaming Facebook wall. You can join Theology Gaming University on Facebook. There's a group there. It's open to everybody. Or you can ask a question at questions at theologygaming.com. We will be happy to answer anything you have. All right. This is Zachary Oliver signing off. Bye. Bye. Bye.